This morning, I do believe that the Spirit of God has something important for us from this text. In fact, I'm going to read portions of it, and then I'd like for us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Remember, I said we're going to do this together. So, uh, will you please do something maybe a little bit unique? Will you please stand together with me for the reading and proclaiming of God's Word? I know it's a little bit more formal. I'm coming from Boston, so just bear with me, okay? Jesus says to his disciples, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans. They, they think they're going to be heard because they talk a lot of words over and over again. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, Hopefully brush your teeth so that not, it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And now let's pray together as the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, thank you for your words to us. And we ask for the empowering of your Holy Spirit to make them more than just words on paper. Make them alive in our own very hearts, in our souls and through our bodies. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Please be seated. Wonderful job. You're doing great so far. So my very good friend, Pastor Dave Lomas, assigned me a text on prayer and fasting. And the reality is you probably want to hear about prayer and fasting as much as I want to live through another winter in Boston. I'm a California native. Been there for five years officially this September. And... Um, the church has done well. God has really blessed us. But here's something I realized this week after studying this text. That when Jesus talks about spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting, he's not just giving his disciples like another sort of duty to perform, some religious duty. He's actually appealing to their deepest desires. The spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting can be a way for us, for you and me, to reconnect to our deepest desires. And we need to connect to our deepest desires because here's the problem. We think we know what we really want, but do we really? What do you want today? That was the question that I was asked on a personal retreat to a monastery in Massachusetts a couple of months ago. It had been a, uh, a long few months, and I was in need of some, some discernment, just time of rest, and just 
sitting and seeking God in some particular ways. So when I went, I sat down with a spiritual director, a monk at the monastery, and I laid out several uh, sort of situations that I was facing, several decisions that I was going through. And I was hoping for him to just give me, you know when you do that, you're hoping for the magic answer, right? You're like, okay, you're a spiritual guy, supposedly. Can you just tell me what to do? Go Yoda on me. I do not care right now. And so when I finished kind of laying out all of the situations I was facing, he asked me one question. He just said, what do you want? Because that's the words that Jesus asked a blind man when he shouted out to him and said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and looks at him and he says, what do you want? And the monk says, It should be obvious, right, to Jesus. The blind man is begging for healing. He wants to see. But Jesus asks him specifically, what do you want me to do for you? When Jesus asks this question, he's reconnecting this man to his deepest, truest desires. And Al, God wants you to simply be honest with him on this retreat. God desires to be with you. You just be honest with him what you want. And I thought, that's easy. I got this. So I went back to my hermitage and I sat down and I started to talk to God just about the different things that I wanted from God. And there's a lot of things I want. I wanted clarity. I wanted answers. I want a lot of things. I'd love to have Pastor Dave's chair in his office. I, I, would, I want good weather year round. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of things I want. But when I sat there, I realized I don't know if the things that I want are the best things for me. And I'm not the only one who who understands this. On the plane over here, I read a book called Modern Romance by comedian Aziz Ansari, (laughs) Pastor Tariq El Ansari's brother, I'm sure. And he talks about why online dating can be so difficult. Some of you can, can give a yes to this. He says, while we may think we know what we want, we're often wrong. And he, then he, and he cites Dan Slater's book, Love in the Time of Algorithms. And he says, the first online dating services tried to find matches for clients based almost exclusively on what clients said they wanted. But pretty soon online dating companies realized that that wasn't working. And when companies began digging into the data, they discovered something surprising. The kind of partner that people said they were looking for didn't match up with the kind of partner that they were actually interested in. What do you want this morning? What are your deepest desires? Not the surface level ones like the great chair or the great weather or the great person. What are your truest desires this morning? And the reason why we need the spiritual disciplines is because we need a way to sort out our deepest desires. We need a a reason to sort them out, and we need a way to reshape them. So I'm going to look at this text in those three ways. First, we need a way to sort through our deepest desires. In this section, Jesus talks about two different kinds of people. You can classify them as the pious people and the pagans or the religious people and the secular people. Both are driven by their desires. They have a desire to be seen, they have a desire to be significant, and they have a desire to be secure.
but they have no way of sorting through those desires. Notice in verse 5, the desire to be seen. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And then verse 16, he talks about fasting. When they fast, they love to be seen by other people. And the truth is, the religious leaders, or what Jesus calls the hypocrites, they practice their spirituality to be seen by others. They have this deep desire to be seen, to be noticed. And I wonder why. I can only like impose my own history, my own childhood. Maybe they grew up in a way that they weren't really noticed. People didn't see the real them. Maybe when they were in their Jewish upbringing in school, they were left out of the class parties or plays or whatever that might be. Whatever reason, Jesus calls them hypocrites, which means an actor, a mask wearer. And in their public prayer, the Jewish people typically practice their prayers three times a day. They practice a fixed hour of prayer, which is a really great thing. It's uh, similar to the, the Book of Common Prayer leads us through this. But for them, even when they practiced, when the alarm went off and they stopped and they began to pray, they would, they would pray in such a way, whether it was silently, which is what the Torah commanded them, or publicly allowed, they would pray in such a way that they would be seen by others. I want to be noticed. Because beneath the hood of their hearts, this deep desire to be seen, to be noticed by someone is really driving their spirituality. But it's not really serving them. It's actually enslaving them to the opinions of the people around them. The second desire can be called the desire for significance. Verse 5 and 16. Notice Jesus said, they've received their reward. What is their reward? Their reward is to be seen as significant. To be seen by someone as significant in the eyes of their peers. What if they practiced their spiritual disciplines in the way that Jesus taught them? Would they be able to see that their spirituality is just another way to be seen by someone, to be seen as significant? This desire for significance, it sometimes bullies me. I don't know if you can relate. But for me, I can come into a room like this and I realize that several of you are very like uber successful in the eyes of, of like our society. And I can come in here and I can easily feel insecure and insignificant. I can watch a documentary and I, I can think, wow, I haven't quite achieved what I wanted to achieve and I'm 40 years old and I have a limited amount of time. How do I get where I'm supposed to go and achieve all the things I'm supposed to achieve because I wanna be significant. No different from these religious leaders. And then the third desire is a little bit more subversive. It's a different kind of people. It's not the pious religious people. This is the pagans, the more secular people that Jesus is talking about. It's the desire for security. Jesus says, and when you pray, don't keep babbling, going on and on with your words like the pagans do, for they think they're going to be heard because they have the right incantations, they use the right sort of language, and they have the right kind of words. Why do these pagans babble? Well, the pagans, or what we know as the non-religious people, it's not the fact that they're not worshipers. In fact, the reason why they babble is to appease the many different kinds of gods that they worship. Sure, they don't worship Yahweh, the, the God of Israel. They worship idols. 
So they use mantras and they live by these certain superstitions. They use incantations as a way to appease the god of wind or fire or earth or money. And they desire security. It's just why they go on and they babble. Because if I say the right words, maybe this kind of God, the God of money, mammon, will actually bless me with the retirement, the 401k, and the 403b that I need. Today's idols might not necessarily be statues, but we're all still hungry for security. We can easily move into idol worship, even if we're not perceiving ourselves as religious people necessarily. The word for idolatry comes from two root words. When you put them together, it means to worship or serve an appearance. A preoccupation with looking good, with feeling good, with being in control, with being right. We practice idolatry when we serve our own image or the appearance that we project to others rather than seeking God's kingdom first. And here's the sad thing, that some of you, when you came in through those doors, you felt like, oh my gosh, when I I can't come in here because everybody else has it all together. And if they knew that the wreck that my life is, I for sure wouldn't be wanted or included here. And so maybe you either keep to yourself or you don't come through there. And the truth is nobody in here has it all together. If you think you do, you're sorely deceiving yourself. And we'll be happy to tell you that you don't. (laughs) But we project images, don't we? We project images like we do, like we're okay. These desires that they have for to be seen or to be significant or for security, they're not bad in and of themselves. They're a part of being human. But when we seek to satisfy them apart from seeking Jesus or where these desires have come from, we become hypocrites or we become idolaters and we need a way to sort through them. That's what the spiritual disciplines help us do. I just want to give you an illustration, a story. James K.A. Smith is a philosopher and he uh, illustrates the idea of the need to sort through these desires or disordered desires in his book, You Are What You Love. And in it, he impacts the film American Beauty. I've never seen it. But he does a tremendous job of illustrating it. Because in it, he says, he calls this book or this film The Confessions of Lester Burnham, who's a middle-aged suburban man. He's on a quest to find himself. And it's a quest that spirals into an erotic adventure of basically looking for love in all the wrong places. It's a story that embodies the Hollywood cliches of finding yourself And Smith says that the film begins with Lester, who's played by Kevin Spacey, incredible. He's living a dull life, his boss berates him, his wife nags him, his teenage daughter snubs him, and he's obsessed with youth, but he doesn't see it. He's turning middle age and he just wants to be young still. I can relate. (laughs) And Through all of a series of events, Lester seeks to cast up all restraint. He quits his job. He buys a hot classic car. He begins to fantasize about his daughter's hot, blonde, young friend, 16 years old, underage, named Angela. And Smith says in his book that every time that he fantasizes about Angela, and she's in various states of seductress poses, of undress, and she's always bathed and embedded in a lustrous halo of red roses. 
And then Lester appears to no longer conform to the expectations of others when he casts off restraint. He seems to have proverbially found himself, and it appears to be his wake-up call to authenticity. And in the film, it ultimately leads to this climactic scene. He's alone with this young, teenage, underage girl, Angela. And he begins to caress her. And he asks her the question that I just asked you and that the monk asked me, what do you want? And in this question, his adulterous escapade comes crashing down. Why? We'll come back to that in a second. (laughs) Hey, that's public speaking 101 right there. But for now, all we can say is that Lester didn't make it a practice of sorting through his truest desires, his deepest desires. And Smith points out something profound, that underneath the hood of all of our lives is some disordered or some ordered desire. Your desires are really leading you. What do you want? You need a way to sort through them. Secondly, You don't just need a way to sort through them, you need a reason to sort through them. And that's the good news that comes to us in this passage. Because if we don't have a way to sort through our deepest desires, we'll likely try to satisfy them in ways that don't fulfill. But the good news here that Jesus tells his followers is this. The Father wants to fulfill your deepest desires. Let me say it one more time because I don't think you heard me. The Father wants to meet and satisfy your truest, deepest desires. Satisfying our desires first to be seen. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you fast, when you, when you break from certain needs of the human being and the human body and, and you do it in order to pursue God and to, to hear the voice of God and to be aware of God's presence, don't do it so that you can earn the praises of others. Do it in such a way that it's only for your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. Here's the good news. You who are here You who are going through pain, you who are going through times of suffering, you who are pursuing Jesus through times of worship and confession and sacrifice, fasting, prayer, whatever it might be, the Father sees you. God sees you. Sit with that for a moment. Not long ago, I was in a place where I felt unseen by God. In my own baggage, I wrestled with issues of abandonment, but recently I sat for a time of spiritual direction with another person, (laughs) and the director said, I feel like God gave me a verse for you. So I internally rolled my eyes, and I just thought, for sure, God gave me a verse. So likely for you to say that. (laughs) And then she said, it's from Judges 4. And the interesting thing to me was that that very morning I read from Judges 4, from this awkward Bible plan that I basically have devised in my own back (laughs) laboratory. And there was a particular passage from Judges 4 that really spoke to me. And she says, yeah, it's from Judges 4, and it's about this particular thing. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And I told her, I read Judges 4 this morning. And she said to me, Al, God sees you. 
And then the next day, Sunday, after preaching a sermon, which I typically go home afterward and just feel like schmuck. It's weird how that works, isn't it? I get a call from a friend, and he begins to pray for me. And he's like, hey, I just want to pray with you. And as he begins to pray, he says, God, I just want you to let Al know today that you see him. And I was like, wait, 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 that's the same thing that this person said to me yesterday. He's like, I know, God sees you. Maybe you need this morning to hear that good news that God sees you. We need a reason to sort through our deepest desires. And the second reason we need to sort through is because we need this desire for significance to be satisfied. And that's what Jesus says here when he says, then your father who sees you in secret, he'll reward you. Jesus doesn't say, hey, why do you desire reward? Come on, put it, get it together. He actually says, God wants to reward you. Your father loves to give you good gifts. Jesus says when the religious people or the pagans, when they practice their spiritual disciplines and their good deeds and they give char- to the charities and they give, to, they give their lives to issues of social justice, they're doing it for a perishable reward. They want to be seen by people as significant. But when you do it to be seen by God, your father sees you and reward you. So go into your closet, shut the door, and when you pray, do it only to get God. Not to get stuff from other people. And he hears you. He'll reward you. The author of the Hebrews, you know this verse. He says that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And to those who come to him must believe that he is that. Jesus says, I will reward you even if you give somebody else a cup of cold water in my name or you just go into your closet and as clumsy as your prayers might be, you just say, God, I need you. Or you fast from breakfast or lunch or from social media or from particular areas of of life in order to be aware of the presence of God to remove distraction from your life. You, you choose to go without because you say, I want to be aware of the presence of God that he sees me. Your father sees you and he'll reward you for that. That's a good father, right? I love to give gifts to my kids if it doesn't cost me too much. No, I'm just kidding. I, it's kind of true. I love to give good gifts to my kids, but guess what? I'm a man with mixed motives. I'm a sinful man. But if I, being a sinful man, love to give good gifts to my kids, how much more will your Father who is in heaven reward you who seek him? Right? Thank you. We're in this together, I said. The third desire that we, or the third reason we need to sort through our deepest desires is for security. And that's what Jesus offers you right here. He says in verse 9, your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Several of us, we've come into this room with questions. You've come in here with concerns. You've come in here this morning, you wonder, why haven't I found the right person yet? Why is this person that I married not the right person yet? You wonder, when will my big break happen? Everyone around me is getting promotions. When am I going to overcome these addictions? When am I going to overcome this relational conflict? 
What about my financial instability? What about my health issues? Do you see them, God? Where can I finally find security? And Jesus tells his disciples a secret that will make them feel secure. He says, when you pray and you shut the door and you get on your knees and you say, oh God, I need you. Your father already actually knows what it is that you need, what you truly need even before you ask him. Because remember we said that the spirit of God uses the spiritual disciplines to satisfy our deepest needs. I didn't say your most all of your needs. I said your truest needs. Your needs to be seen. Your need to be significant. And your need to feel secure. Your father knows what you need. Maybe right now you can, would you dare even just tell God right now what you need? The father knew that you needed that before you asked him. The interesting thing is, in the section alone, Jesus mentions the word Father seven times. And when he instructs his disciples how to pray, he introduces them to a relationship with God that seems almost sacrilegious to the early Jew. He says, when you pray, you say, our Father. That's security, man. That's security that we have never known of God. God is neither ignorant of your needs so that you have to instruct him, nor is he hesitant, nor is he distant from you. God is nearer to you than your next breath, and you have your breath because God knew you needed it before you asked him. He's our father, a father who knows our need, our truest desire, even before we ask. But we don't just need a we don't, don't just need to sort through our desires and we don't just need a way to or a reason to sort through them. We need a way to reshape our desires, don't we? So I'll tell you what, even as I've landed in San Francisco and I've been driving through with my family the last few days, there's been times that I've been short. There's been times that I've snapped. There's been times that I've had disordered desires. But I've started to pray through this prayer that Jesus instructs his disciples through. And I've noticed each time I pray it, it gets me one step closer to what's actually true within me. True desires. Desires that don't enslave me. Desires that will free me. We need a, a way to reshape our deepest desires. Now some of you are thinking, whoa, here's the thing that I hate about Christianity. This is the reason why I'm a skeptic, you might be saying. Because you're always talking about my desires aren't good enough Talk about how I need to reshape my desires. What is that about? I want to go back to Lester Burnham's story for a second from American Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Because here's the deal. When Lester Burnham asks Angela, what do you want? What do you think he's hoping? Well, here's what she actually says. She says in her 16-year-old voice, I don't know. And Smith says she lacks the self-knowledge to answer. She doesn't really know what she wants. She's 16. How could you? No disrespect to 16-year-olds in this room. (laughs) Are you kidding? Lester replies when she asks him the question, what do you want? He says, are you kidding? I want you. I've always wanted you. I've wanted you since the first moment I saw you. 
And the scene progresses on in its sensuous course until Angela makes her own confession that this is her first time. And in an instant, the charade of Lester's supposed newfound authenticity crashes. And man, in a moment, the seductive woman who's been the object of his affections, like she's writhing in rose petals so seductively in all of his, all of his illustrious fantasies, comes crashing as she's unveiled to be just the young 16-year-old girl who could just as easily be his daughter. And here's the wake-up call in Lester's life. Here's the moment of revelation where the unveiling of Angela's body reveals the disorder of Lester's own loves. Just when he gets what he wants or what he thinks he wants, his desire, he realizes he's wanted something else altogether all along. And all of a sudden, as we look back on all those fantasies, these are the words of Jamie Smith about Angela writhing in rose petals. We remember it was Carolyn, his wife, who so tenderly cared for the red roses called American Beauties out in the yard. And with Lester, we start to ask ourselves, is this what I really want? When Jesus models for his disciples the way to pray and to fast, he's giving them disciplines to reshape their desires, to move them from disordered to ordered, from from crazy to centered, to free them from enslavement. Because when you pray and you fast in the way that Jesus is saying, it shapes who you are and what you desire. So I want to finish by looking at three ways that the spiritual disciplines actually do shape our desires. First, the disciplines help us to desire a joy beyond ourself. He says, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To get a joy beyond the self, you need to adore, to adore someone more powerful than yourself. Because if the center of your world is not out there, there's only one other place that can be in here in our own egocentricity. And the Our Father is a prayer that transcends the self. It centers us on God, the beloved Abba, the Father, the beloved parent who dwells within each of us as we put our faith in Jesus, who doesn't leave us or forsake us, doesn't abandon us, doesn't accuse us, he doesn't shame us. Instead, he nurtures us and holds us and is so... He's so totally beyond us that he's our father who's in the heavens. He's not like your father. And he's not like me. He's our father who's in heaven. And don't miss the importance of the first word in the sentence, our. Jesus says, when you pray, friends, you say, our father. Because here's the temptation. You're going to come through these doors or you're going to be on this mountainside, he's telling his Jewish followers. And you're going to think that you're Relationship with God is all about your personal relationship, but the truth is, is you can't be transformed apart from the community of Jesus. You pray, our Father who's in heaven. And you pray for the person next to you that their desires would be deeply formed and shaped. You're praying these words. you're, You're celebrating with the people with you. This new humanity that Jesus calls the church 
But secondly, we begin to desire a gratitude over discontentment. That's where he says, give us today our daily bread. Let me let you in on a little secret. I tend to struggle with contentment. Because I always think that life is going to begin tomorrow when I finally get the thing. But when I start to pray, give us today our daily bread, it recenters me, reminds me that, oh, my life is not out there. It's here now. This moment is sacred, and God has given me my very breath. He's given me my food for today. He's given me the people around me. The beauty of creation and art and all this stuff around, just give me today what I need. And this is a direct reminder to Israel when they traveled through the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says that for those who walked outside and God provided the manna for them in the wilderness, those who gathered much and tried to hoard for themselves, they had no, nothing left over. But those who just went out and gathered for the daily bread, they had no lack. You need, if you're ever going to overcome your discontentment or selfishness or greediness, you need this prayer. Give us our, today my daily bread. My, my kids, when we pray this prayer at dinner time, my, my youngest daughter, she's very savvy because she just looks at the dinner and she says, wait, we don't even have bread. What's going on here? And remind her that, oh, baby, we're, we're making you gluten-free. No, we, we... <laughs> we remind her that this prayer reminds us that the food we have today, life today, is a gift. And thirdly, lastly, we begin to desire humility over self-indulgence. And forgive us our debts, he says, as we forgive our debtors. Humility. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus says something very challenging. For if you forgive others, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their debt towards you, your Father won't forgive your debt either. I don't even know that I fully understand the weight of that passage, but here's what I have a hunch of what Jesus is saying from what I've been studying and from, what I, from sitting with the passage. Those who understand the weightiness of the gospel, you might still struggle with forgiving others, but you have the very spirit of God within you who's saying, the thing to do now is to forgive them. Unforgiveness is wrecking you, son, daughter, but your father forgives you. So therefore, that's what makes you want to forgive others who owe you. This prayer of forgiveness, it shapes us to desire humility over self-indulgence. I don't think we fully understand this petition because we've spiritualized this prayer so much and a lot of the gospel that we've misunderstood that forgiving debts has to do with actual debt, money. Man, you know, it's easy to forgive somebody until they owe you money. You're like, whoa, what? <laughs> but it reminds us to something called the year of Jubilee. 
God instructed Israel every 50 years they were to let their servants go free and to let the debts go free. Every 50 years, it was called the, the year of celebration, the year of jubilee. And when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, he's, he's reminding them of this jubilee year. The truth is, 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 if we would have followed God's command for jubilee, communism would never have been necessary and capitalism would never have been possible. When we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive the debts that others owe me, we are saying, because you, Jesus, have absorbed all of the debt that I owed to God for my idolatry and my hypocrisy, I'm going to step out in faith and forgive those who owe me, who have wronged me. I'm going to absorb their debt relationally, financially, or emotionally. And it causes me to desire humility over self-indulgence. And you know what's really fascinating? Here's what's really fascinating. You know that part in, part in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus, in his first public ministry, he reads the scriptures and he says, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Where I've, the blind see and the lame walk and he shuts the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he says, boom, today it's been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Just like that, he said it. You know what he's saying? He's saying, this is the year of Jubilee. Jesus began his earthly ministry during the year that people were to be let free. During the year that slaves were to go free and during the year that debts were to be erased and washed clean. Because on the cross, he uses banking language also when he says, it is finished, paid in full. The Father sees you, you have security because Jesus has declared it jubilee until kingdom come. Your debts are removed from you. And now he's saying, I want you to forgive others. Because when you forgive others, you're starting to really get this thing called the good news of the kingdom of God. Fasting does that. It causes us to, to desire humility over self-indulgence where we willingly deprive ourselves in order to desire more of God, to remove the distractions so that we can be more aware to God's presence and God's power. But here's the thing. Jesus also fasted in the wilderness 40 days to reverse the curse that Israel had incurred during their 40 years of wilderness wandering for their idolatry and their hypocrisy. Jesus lived the life, man, that you couldn't live and he paid a debt you couldn't pay so that now you are invited as a participant into the kingdom of God. So what does this mean for me? For me, it means, like I said, that as I pray this prayer, I begin to realize, oh, Jesus, reshape my desires. I invite you to reshape them because I start to think that my desires uh, they, they go in so many different directions and I start to believe every one of them to be true. And you and me, we're no different from Lester Burnham. We need a savior to, 
Come and resort through them. We need the Spirit of God to reshape them, and we need disciplines, spiritual disciplines that can recenter our desires. And here's the good news God desires to give you your deepest desires through the disciplines by His Holy Spirit. I wonder what this means for you. Maybe you come in here with a deep desire to be seen. Maybe you come in here with a deep desire for significance. That's why you overwork. That's why you're so afraid of what the people around you think. Maybe you just come in here and you have a deep desire for security. But then you find all of a sudden those desires conflicting against one another. Like, I want to be significant, and so therefore I work like crazy. But I also want a great family, so therefore how do I join the two? What do I do to understand my desires? You pray the Lord's Prayer. You pray it every day. You pray it again and again. And you pray in this way, Jesus says, because when you pray in this way, it begins to recenter your desires. And here's what I want to do right now as the music team's going to come out. As we come to the Lord's Supper, you come to the Lord's Supper, you begin to taste your significance. You taste the security that God is providing you, the debt that's paid. We come to the carpets, we receive prayer. We posture ourselves before the Father who's in heaven. We receive prayer with one another because it's our Father. But let's do this before we do that, before we come before the the Lord's Supper and we receive the bread and the cup, these tangible reminders of Jesus' return and his love for us. Let's pray for one another. So, I'm going to put a prayer of the Lord's Prayer on the screen. And I want to ask you, I want to invite you just to open your hands. Maybe as you're praying for the person next to you, you just kind of tweak your hand that way to them. Like so, it just all goes that way, you know. (laughs) But let's pause just for a moment of silence first. And receive the fact that we are seen by the Father right now. We're loved by the Father. We're secure in him and that we can repent of all of our disordered loves and not be ashamed of them. We can be honest of them so that we can be freed of them. And then let's begin to pray this prayer for the people around us because we're in this thing together. Remember we said at the beginning, 